Welcome to the Better You Podcast, a show about maintaining healthy habits, living well, and the people who do both in their personal and professional lives. Hey, Jen, thanks so much for joining us today on the Better You Podcast. I'm so happy to be here, Sean. So one of my favorite questions that we usually use just to kind of get started, it's where did your road to wellness begin? You know, where my mind is going right now is in the first year of my first child's life, (laughs) (laughs) which I know you're in right now too. Yes. Right. But it's just, it's a very challenging time for a first time mom. The first year is just physically and emotionally you're, I think you're more challenged than maybe at any other time in your life. And um, so that's when the whole thing about put the oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on others really came home. I think before then I was like, yeah, whatever. I can do whatever I do in my normal life and things are fine. But then I was like, oh, wait a minute. I have to actually put effort and carve time and space away for my own wellness or else everything's going to fall apart. Yeah, it won't happen by accident. I I love that. And if that's kind of where you started, how did you kind of get to where you are today? If that was kind of the first moment of okay, I need to I need to take care of myself. What was kind of your progression then over the years? I think it's a a, a journey of trial and error. Um, you just have to experiment with different ideas and different practices and find things that work for you. And I think it's also a process of giving yourself a lot of grace. You might find something that works and then life comes along and pulls you out of whatever routine is working for you. And then you have to kind of bounce back and start over again. A combination of the basics, right? Like sleep, exercise, nutrition, you know, mental health and connection with your support network. Those four pillars. <laughs> There's, yep. uh, it's just an ongoing uh, trial and error. I love it. And finding kind of that right mix, I'll say. I mean, for me, I used to get really into doing like learning things where I was learning piano or listening to books. And now we've got, like you mentioned, I've got a little, a little girl at home. And so I don't quite have as much time for those things, but I still find ways to work in you know, some of those things, maybe I'll read to my daughter, right? We try to do it together and like incorporate that mix. So I definitely think finding that piece is, that's a, that's no easy task. So trial and error makes a ton of sense to me. I love that you're already reading to her. That's Oh yeah. Oh, it's so funny, Jen. So I read my daughter who's two months old, two and a half months now. I read her adult books, like logic (laughs) books or like Harry Potter, like books that I want to read. One, it's because I want to read them. But two, you know, the little kid books, there's not much by way of plot in some of them. We have some that are fantastic, but a lot of them, there's, you know, they rhyme, they're sing-songy. I like those things, but, you know, if you have to read them over and over and over again, I'd much rather read a book like, you know, Harry Potter or whatever and just kind of have it be something I can enjoy too. That'll work for maybe up to a year and then you may you may find the the, the rebel coming out in your daughter. And she <laughs> but, you know, enjoy it while it lasts. I plan on it. Oh, brother. Well, well, cool. Well, one of the things that we always like to explore is kind of how you, you know, found yourself where you are in your professional life and ways you've incorporated wellness there. I guess I'd, I'd love to learn just more about your, the, the rightly story, right? Cause you know, obviously you, you, you and I've jammed a lot on product things in the past. Talk to me about rightly and kind of, I know obviously there was that transition into Google kind of a, a year after you joined, but we'd just love to learn the, the story there and kind of hear where, where it all started. 
Yeah, so I started out my career um, at Intuit. Um, I, I grew up in Menlo Park, and Intuit was founded in Menlo Park. Yes, and, we um, use them. Shout out QuickBooks. Yes. Yeah, QuickBooks. <laughs> I worked on QuickBooks for like a decade. Um, <laughs> so um, it was while I was there that I worked on this project with um, a team of engineers. And actually, while I was out on maternity leave with my daughter, um, they left into it and just started to like riff on different projects. And um, after I came back from maternity leave, at one point they called me and they said, Jen, one of our projects, like it has users (laughs) and we, you know, could you help us out? Sure. So I moonlit for them. I was uh, you know, kind of looking at all the feedback. I was kind of on the, on the message boards with, with users communicating with folks, trying to translate what I was hearing into ideas for where to take the product next. And, uh, and then after a couple months of doing that, I was like, okay, <laughs> maybe I should go full time with y'all. Um, so it was sort of, you know, no salary, equity on handshake, um, just between friends and uh, so worked for them um, for the next five to six months and then Google acquired us and rightly uh, we then kind of developed it and relaunched it as Google Docs. So that was how that went down. I love it. One of the questions I've gotten there is, is you know, kind of seeing the startup journey kind of into that acquisition phase. What did you feel? I mean, did you feel any pressure once the the acro say, "Hey, this is we're coming. We're going to become part of Google. We're going to make this thing that's going to be, I guess, a core part, right? And now today, a very core part of the the G Suite kind of service and offering. How did you how did you handle those pieces around? Just like, okay, now there's this other scale that we're being asked to do this at, or, or were there any discussions around that when y'all were going through it? Yeah, I think that the, the whole time that, that we were operating as the startup rightly with just like the four of us and a couple of contractors, we were just trying to stay, it was like trying to stay ahead of the scale. So there was this big wave and we were just trying to keep our heads above water from a let's keep the service running perspective while we're trying to you know add enhancements that are going to increase the value to users. And so then um, joining Google, it was, we had per the the acquisition agreement, like we had very specific milestones that we needed to meet. Mm. And, uh, and one of them, the first was like, you know, transitioning to Google infrastructure. So it was Mm. all about doing that, you know, transitioning to Google big table, right. For, for our backend transitioning from our account login system to uh, Google account login system. So really mostly kept, the existing functionality the same and uh, just transferred to Google infrastructure and then was able to further the enhancements and improvements from there. As you think about, you know, some of those different pieces, whether it's, hey, we have to, we have to deliver this, you have to switch infrastructure. Was there any challenges that you faced in the process that kind of stood out as this is the biggest one that we have to kind of overcome here to really get things going on that side? When we joined Google, I remember we were kind of sitting in like the third floor of this building on their headquarters, Googleplex in Mountain View and uh, kind of next to the Google calendar team, which was nascent at that time. And in the first couple of weeks, we were like, surely someone's going to come along and start, you know, telling us what to do. But that <laughs> never actually happened. It was a little bit wild west. We could kind of, we had agency to do whatever we wanted to do. Awesome. Um, and we were just chasing our, our, milestones. 
the main challenge actually was was making some of these key technical decisions because that's where people across Google really cared. So there was Bigtable and then there was some competitor to Bigtable. I can't remember even what it was. And so there was like, that was like the most tense decision. Which backend are we gonna use, you know? In the end, we went for Bigtable and that ended up winning the, the backend competition or what have you. The most intense decisions were actually a- around the, the technical aspects of things there. There was some user experience type of challenges. We were trying to make the transition really smooth for people. So we were exploring like what are different ways to, to uh, shift people over to Google accounts and try to do it as seamlessly as possible. But that was, you know, that's kind of par for the course. Um, uh, and then I think the other challenge may have been just about getting, trying to augment our team. Uh, we were just acquired, super unknown. Um, even people at Google weren't fully using Rightly or Google Docs yet. You know, attracting people, you know, to the team. It was a free market at the time. Like, if an engineer, if an engineer wants to work on your project, then they'll go work on it. Um, and so uh, we didn't we didn't grow a lot in terms of um, the, the the number of people on our team until after we launched as Google Docs and. And people within Google started really adopting it and using it hardcore. And that's when I think um, we started to attract more, more folks. But yeah, now it feels like the strategic importance of, of Google Docs is, is so much higher now that we have, you know, the advent of AI and BARD and all that. So that's exciting to see. I love it. And, and maybe on that same thread, you and I have chatted on that before. And I'm curious, now we've got this wave of conversational AI products kind of hitting the shelves, whether it's in support or all these different pieces. What's your thought on the impact that could have in, on the health and, and well-being space, simply thinking about things like social connection and being able to chat with this conversational AI, having answers and access maybe more readily at your fingertips? I'm curious if you've thought at all on that side, right? Of like, where, where does that kind of end up going? It's just an interesting thought. I think the potential for um, AI assistance with your wellness journey is super exciting. We've riffed on this before, like, you know, how might better you play in that space, right? But the idea of uh, moving from a world where you may be nudged by interventions that are a little bit more rote and programmatic and kind of general purpose um, into a world where maybe there's more personalization in those nudges that is enabled through some of these uh, either ML or LLM models or some combination of the two, I think is, is pretty exciting. So I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I'm sure you're going to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and didn't mean to take us off too too far there, but I think that was just an interesting one. You were mentioning Bard and some of the technologies. Looping back, so thinking about your your adventure so far, your professional journey, is there anything that you've you know adopted or anything you've embraced that's helped you stay grounded, kind of through through the different adventures and the different products that you've helped bring to life? Yeah, for me, it uh, it's it's really been trying different things. I spent that first 10 year stint of my career at Intuit, but that's the longest stint. And then four years at Google. Other than that, like I haven't spent more than four years at any organization. I've, I've really, you know, tried a lot working in a lot of different problem spaces in a lot of different organizations. So I think through that process, I found what makes me happy, what works well for me, where, where do I see 
and feel success and joy in my work and then just trying to double down on that in whatever the next step might be. And that's really what has brought me to Merit America, where I was following not only a problem space, which is online learning and education, that really lights my fire and gives me joy just thinking through the problems that we need to solve there and the potential impact that we can have on folks' lives, to um, the size of the organization. You know, we're still less than 200 people. We're, we're growing, but you don't feel lost in a, in a big sea with lots and lots of fish. You can feel your impact every day. And then the people having worked with some of the leaders of the organization at previously and, and knowing them and loving them and respecting them as leaders, like that's what brought me to Merit America. And, and so, yeah, just, just finding what kind of same as wellness, right? It's a lot of similarities, just like trying different things, finding what works and doubling down on that. And so when you think about those things that have worked for you, I guess I'm curious, are there any go-tos? You know, uh, imagine you're having a stressful day. It was funny. Someone showed me a picture of me at, at our company. And it was someone that was taken by a when we had a photographer in, and I had my hand in my face. Whatever I was doing, I looked very, very stressed. <laughs> and so if you're imagining a moment like that, Jen, what's some go-to you know, tactics or things that you do that help you kind of de-stress and, and embrace the moment? One certainly is... Uh, getting into my body a little bit more. So either going for a walk or uh, doing some yoga, um, going on my uh, recumbent bike for a little bit, um, getting out of your head and and trying to get your body working to increase the, the sort of blood flow and energy flow. I think that's really helpful. The other thing is just talking to people for perspective. Uh, I have sort of a support team um, the folks that I work with at Merit America, I also have a coach that I've worked with for uh, more than 10 years. And so, you know, I have that person. And then also former colleagues, over time, you build a network of folks you've worked with before. And in a pinch, you can call up those folks. They know you well and you can get their support. Reminding yourself that in the grand scheme of things, like maybe this thing isn't as bad. And I think that extra perspective for me, anytime I'm faced with a problem, when I, when I can reach out to mentors and other you know, friends, it, I am reminded very quickly that I am in like, life is pretty good on the grand scheme of things. And that this thing is a, a small speed bump or a ripple on the, you know, the river of life and it'll be okay. It can be easy if you're just by yourself to kind of let it become a really big thing. Yeah, my coach, she uses this analogy. If you're really feeling wrapped up in whatever quandary or difficulty, to the extent that you can vision yourself taking steps away from that problem, like leaving a room and going out on the balcony, creating some distance, some objectivity between you and the situation that's going on, that allows you to respond to the situation rather than just react, which feels more empowered overall. I like it. And then also the, the shout out before of just getting some exercise, getting in your body. I, I, there's a nature center near where my parents live and it's just this really deep wooded area and you can see, you know, deer or, or what have you out in the wild and just going for a walk, even if it's just for 10 or 15 minutes, I think definitely helps me kind of ground myself and think clearer. And I'm not sure if it's the movement or just the environment, but getting away, I think is also a great call. I like both those pieces, Jen. That's cool. One of the things uh, when we were when our team was doing some research on on your style, one one of the quotes that we had was around, you know, how you you drive your approach, and I think it was you had engaging team members with energy, 
inclusiveness, and joy. We've chatted on some of these pieces. Energy, certainly, I guess, ties into our last topic. But when you think about those three words, what do each of them mean to you in a professional setting? And, and how do you incorporate them in your approach? Yeah, so energy is something that I bring to the table. I have a lot of energy um, just in general. <laughs> and it is something that over the years, people I work with have told me that they appreciate about me. So I've become more aware of it over time. I think that how you channel your energy in any given situation, it's a choice. I try to you know, be present in any situation. Energy can help you listen better, even if it's just you know, having a smile on your face versus like, I've gotten that picture that you mentioned before, like in the past, before I was more aware of this, people would like, be like, come to me after me and be like, Jen, are you mad? Are you upset? I was like, oh no, I was just thinking really hard. So if I'm not conscious, if I'm not like, if I'm not being aware, like if I'm thinking hard, it looks like I'm upset, which is suboptimal. So, you know, just, just, I think just being conscious of, of how I'm expressing my energy and bringing it to the table and how it can positively impact others uh, if I'm more aware of it. That's just something that I focus on um, and have learned to do better over the years. Inclusiveness, that's so critical to me. I, I fundamentally believe so strongly that the quality of your product is a function of the quality of your collaboration. I used to think as a product manager that, oh, I have to have the best ideas and, and my job is to convince everybody to, to make my ideas reality. And that's that was wrong. <laughs> that The job of the product manager is to find the best ideas, no matter where they are, and to be truly open um, to, to everyone's perspectives and, and truly like take those perspectives into consideration. Um, and if you do that, like you... you the process of then determining what the right direction is, usually it's pretty clear if you've actually taken that approach. Joy, you know, we spend so many waking hours working. It has to be a joy parade, not a death march, because otherwise we get burnt out so easily. It does it does impact our, our ultimate wellness, and you're not going to do your best work if you're feeling burnt out. So, you know, just caring, demonstrating that I care for people, um, you know, sharing fun experiences, like, you know, in this world of virtual teams doing things like, you know, playing scribble or, <laughs> or, uh, you know, those, all those different online games you can play with each other, um, making sure you do icebreakers and that you enjoy getting together in person and that you kind of try and bake moments of human connection and caring for each other in along the way, I think is so important. I love it. I mean, a few, a few thoughts that I was reminded of, you know, you mentioned kind of the, the, the realization of, Hey, you know, it's not about me trying to have the best idea. It's about finding the best idea. And one of the things I've often thought of in the product process is sometimes I felt that it was my idea to propose a bad idea so that the team could beat it up and make something better. Awesome. Yeah. So just, that was actually one of the things when you mentioned inclusiveness, if any time I have a bad idea that I'm like proposing for people to beat it up and people were afraid, you know, sometimes I've worked in environments where people are afraid to like, oh, but but this is this person's idea. And I think just separating yourself from that idea and saying, no, it's okay. Like, I'm going to beat up my idea here. Here's something that could be better about it. Here's something that's not as good. And just kind of getting that collaboration. I think that's that's awesome. 
I guess when you think about your approach in all three of these, and maybe maybe looping in on on energy for a second, right? Because it was this idea of how you can choose. It's a choice of of having that smile or, or being aware of, of those cues. It sounds like that's something you you learned over time based on feedback from team members and other things. Was there a moment, and, and maybe you described an example of a moment, was there a moment where you said, okay, I'm, I'm going to make a conscious shift towards thinking more about the energy that I'm bringing into every room or, or every meeting that I'm a part of? It's not like one moment that changed everything. It's just, I think, lo- lots of mini moments and reminders. Um, when I was when I was working at, at Coursera, um, I had this manager most of the time was our chief product officer, Tom Willer. And he was just such a, such a great manager in so many ways. He would like, you know, totally play the Socratic game of like, just asking you a bunch of questions and not giving you any answers. And then together you arrive at the right answer. That was, was so great. But I remember in my last performance review with him, his main feedback was like, you know, Jen, at staff meetings, I wish you were actually more present because at the weekly staff meetings, often I would, um, cause I have energy. I tend to be very fidgety. <laughs> so in a staff meeting, the, the, the urge to sort of, you know, multitask or, you know, have, um, not be fully present that, uh, that temptation was really, really strong. You know, some meetings, staff meetings can be a little rote sometimes, or there could be a topic that doesn't directly relate to you. And that was a wake up call for me because I was like, yeah, why, why have I not been like bringing my energy, my, my sort of respect and attention to the other people in the meeting? Like, what does that say to them about my regard for them? Not great. (laughs) So I think it's just, it's, it's whenever I maybe, start to tune out a little bit and you can feel it right when you're in a situation and you're kind of starting to tune out to just catch yourself and say, Hey, what is my behavior right now? What message is that sending to the people around me? And is that really the look I want to have here? Is that really the impact that I want to have on other folks to just be more mindful about it? No, I like that. You know, I've, I found myself in similar situations where, you know, maybe I'm thinking about something that I could be doing in that time. And in that situation, the person I should be thinking about is probably the person presenting, right? And the impact that they can have and being engaged, asking good questions so that it helps me, it helps the team, right? Versus kind of, you know, a random email will still probably be there in 30 minutes to, to exactly. respond to. You know, thinking about energy, I, and I'm not entirely sure if it's related, but I'd be curious just to get your take. One of the things that I've heard of that I've, I've implemented recently when I walk through a door frame, anytime I walk through a door frame, I try to adjust my posture. I'm a big sloucher. My wife gives me a ton of grief. I'm a sloucher. I hunch over the later the day goes. But every time I'm going through a door frame, I'm entering a new space. I'm meeting new people for the first time, potentially, right? And so that's my prompt of saying, okay, let's let's try to put our best kind of face forward here and, and give them the energy they deserve. I'm curious, have you seen anything like that around those prompts? That, or maybe it's something you've seen in those staff meetings, the staff meeting itself became a prompt. Since Merit America, we're fully like remote. I don't have as much physical, cause I'm just, I'm Zoom. Yeah. Um, we have a few teammates who work locally. So sometimes we go out for a walk or whatever, or meet up in a co-working space. But one thing that I try to do is, and I have it set up right now. So um, right now I have covered up the window of myself. So I'm not seeing myself. 
and I have you like right in front of me. So I'm really just trying to make you the centerpiece and focus on you as if you were sitting across from me. So that's something that I try to do like whenever I, whenever I join as a zoom space is to set it up so that, uh, as much as possible, I can really focus my attention on the other people and, and give them as much, uh, of my attention as if they were in the room with me. So I try. That's an amazing route, Jen, right? So hiding your image so that it's not a distraction and you can focus on just the other person. I think that makes, that makes a world of difference. I got to figure out how to do that in my zoom. Jeez. <laughs> Well, one of the things that I think is really interesting from a health and well-being perspective is this idea of, of giving, right, or of doing things for others. And one of the things that you've done, and it, it, we know each other a lot through this, but you do a lot of advising. And I'd be curious, you know, when you decided, hey, I, I've got a lot to offer here. I'd like to be an advisor to different companies or different people. How did you kind of arrive to that decision? And have you noticed an, an, a lift in that element kind of of your well-being? I guess it started with just conversations with former colleagues. So again, since I've, since I've worked at a lot of different organizations, uh, I have a lot of former colleagues and especially for people who were on my teams who reported to me, I make it very clear with them that we're colleagues for life now. <laughs> like it doesn't end with this organization. Like we have a relationship and I'm always going to like care about you and be excited to contribute to your development. I think in part that was because I had this one experience in my first job at Intuit where I had this manager who I really loved and then I changed jobs and I didn't report to her anymore. And I kind of felt like she dropped me. Like she, she barely said hi to me in the hallway anymore. I was like, oh, you know, so I didn't, I, I felt like I had a little chip on my shoulder um, and I was like, I'm never going to do that to anyone else. But maybe I overcompensate a little bit. But because of that, um, a lot of former colleagues and people who have reported to me in the past reach out to me and and I reach out to them, just check in. How are things going? And, and, and so I think that's where it started um, is just making myself available and wanting to maintain connections with former colleagues and wanting to support them beyond our current organization. That's so important, right? And and in that instance, you didn't even leave the company. You were just working at a different group. Yeah. And so making sure that those relationships outlast whatever role we happen to be in at any time, that, that makes sense. Is there an element of, you know, advising or mentorship that you find particularly rewarding when you when you're doing it regularly? Just that one-on-one where um where we're just talking through you know, thorny, thorny issues and, and trying to sort through like what makes sense. And I just, at the end of any given call with um, a former colleague or, or, or someone else, uh, you can hear it in their voice, like that in, it's a little bit more relaxed or it's a little happier, you know, there was some kind of insight or breakthrough that they're a little less muddled and saddened than when the call started. And that just feels great. You know, I love that. It's super energizing for me. It makes my day. Good to hear. I think that, you know, catharsis in our problems, it's, it's not easy to come by, but even just getting it out in a form is, you know, on the mentee side, I can say is, is helpful because then, you know, you get a chance to get answers and learn. I'd be curious your reactions on this. So when I was very early in my startup journey, 
I struggled like sharing the real things because there's always, you know, there's always, you know, things coming together and things falling apart at a startup, right? It's not all rainbows and sunshine. There's rainstorms and thunder and all these things you don't like. And I found myself realizing one day that if I didn't actually share those things, there was no chance anyone would ever help me with them because like nobody do. And so then it was like, okay, I've got to, you know, share a lot of these. And this was maybe, you know, whatever, eight, eight or nine years ago that I, I had this realization, but I feel like it's a hard thing. Are there any things that you do in the relationship to try to, you know, make it open up and make it a, feel like a really a space where you can share the stuff that's not going well? Yeah. I mean, it does feel like in general, um, if everything is, you know, rainbows and unicorns, um, then an outreach doesn't necessarily happen. Like, you know, like if everything's great, then, you know, who needs to talk to Jen kind of thing, <laughs> you know, some exceptions to that. Um, just like, Hey, I'm, I'm in town, let's get together or whatever. That's another story. Um, but I think it, it, it helps to, to, reciprocate in anything, right? So to the extent that it's not just a one-way thing, like I get a lot out of conversations that I have with you and other folks, like I'm learning as well. And to the extent that there's an opportunity for me to share a problem or, um, you know, something like that, uh, then it's like, okay, you know, we can both be vulnerable here. Like I don't have all the answers. Like you can, you can advise me as well. Um, reciprocation in general is a lovely thing. Some of the mentoring work that I've done through accelerators and whatnot, that's one of the biggest things is I meet someone who's going through things that I went through. So I relate, I empathize. And sometimes it's the, I'm there to help them with business things. Other times I'm just there to say, wow, that's, oh man, that's tough. Like, I'm so sorry. Like just to be there, right. Is, is sometimes just half the battle. I like that approach. Jen. that's awesome. So we've talked a little bit about empathy, right, in the context of meetings and, and trying to be there for other people with, with you know, energy levels and things on that side. When you think about user empathy, what does that mean to you? How do you cultivate it in the work that you're doing? User empathy is, is so critical for, for a product. Um, and the, the main ways that I cultivate it now, I would say there are kind of three different areas. One is kind of same as what I just mentioned, having one-on-one conversations. I try to actually just talk with, with people who are alums of Merit America, ask them about their experiences. I probably have like at least a couple conversations every month. Um, and, uh, and just, you know, get to know them and their unique situation. And, um, and so through those one-on-one conversations, it helps to, to cultivate empathy. Um, then the other one is through, um, sort of talking with people internally in, 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 in the organization here at Merit America, we have, um, a a staff of coaches who are are working one-on-one with learners every day, um, to help motivate them to help problem solve and ensure their ultimate kind of upward mobility success. And so, um, just talking with the the coaches and seeing what their concerns are um, as sort of uh, both from their perspective as a coach, but also as a proxy for the people that we're ultimately trying to serve. That's a way to to cultivate empathy. And then the third thing is, it sounds a little maybe counterintuitive, but like quantitative analysis. 
looking at um, kind of stepping back from the individual and the qualitative stories and looking at the big picture of what are the results that we're achieving and, you know, why are, you know, where are people having more struggles? Where are people maybe dropping out of the program? Um, uh, and, and what are the root causes of that? Um, those kinds of quantitative difficulties and, and challenges. You know, it's so interesting. I, I love that that last bullet of, of adding in some of the data. There's there's work that we found at Better You where if you have a goal with a buddy, you do better. And there's a lot of research on this in some areas of health, right? Like going to the gym. If we go to the gym together, we're more likely to do it, that accountability buddy. But there hadn't been a ton of research on, oh, if I'm trying to meditate more and I do it with a buddy or if I'm trying to sleep more and I have a buddy who can do like that you also get you also get a bonus right and it's it's you know that that old adage right to to go far go together and we learned that just from looking at the data right so that was one of the ways that we said okay people are doing having more success in this arena let's help other people do that and let people know hey if you do this you might get this little boost let's try that so Jen as we kind of think through some of these other pieces here we always like to to kind of wind down with the same three questions. And the first one is, what does wellness mean to you? Wellness to me is quality of life. That whole oxygen mask scenario where if, if I'm not well, I cannot support others. If I'm not well, I cannot have a positive impact on the world around me. So, um, and if I can't, and if I'm not feeling well and I'm not helping others, it's sort of like a, a vicious cycle, which is a significant quality of life issue. So I think wellness is is just key to quality of life. Given that around wellness, what's one simple thing people could do to improve their wellness? Be aware of what works for you. You might go through a whole week and at the end of the week, you just take, you haven't reflected all week. You've just been trying to get through it, you know, and survive Take some time, ideally every day, but at minimum every week and just reflect on what, what worked for you and what didn't work for you. And, and then, you know, maybe that will influence what happens the following week would be the idea. But I think if it, the, the danger of not, um, not taking time to reflect is that then you, you're not even aware. You're just going not mindfully, uh, from thing to thing that feels like potentially very destructive. If you just run from battle to battle to battle, you'll never know how you're actually doing. And the, the macro level yeah, it makes a lot of sense on the last piece, you know, where can people follow you and, and learn more on your background and the work that you're up to here today? I don't really do social media. <laughs> I leave that to my teenage children. Uh, I I think probably the only place to, to find me and learn more about me is on LinkedIn. So if uh, there aren't many Jen Mutzones out there, so <laughs> if you do a search, you'll probably find me pretty quick. I love it, Jen. I love it. Well, that's awesome. And we will have a link to Merit American, some of the work that you're you're building there today here in the show notes. So be sure to check it out. And thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you, Sean. Have a great one. Thanks for tuning in to the Better You Podcast. If you're interested in continuing your journey to improve health and wellness, learn more at betteryou.ai.